Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 327. Seconds into that intro, I put my phone down. Um, That was audible on the mic, so very professional as ever. Um, Thank you for tuning in. A big love to everyone. I just we've it's been a busy week or two, man, on socials and on different things engaging with you guys. So a lot of things to give love for. First of all, the reaction to last week's podcast with Rutger Bregman. His his first visit for a lot of people is their favourite episode of all time, and the second visit has lived up to that. So thank you for all the tweets and love about the, that episode. Thank you also for all the love. For the two distraction quizzes, um, I'm recording this the t- today's episode on my desk in the, the setup I had it all ready for and filmed for the distraction quizzes. If you missed them, they're on YouTube. Just search distraction quiz. There was two quizzes with questions and rounds from every host of every podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. And a lot of effort I went in. Each, each quiz took... I did a day of filming... And then we did a, you know, Luke from Bang Boom Creative did a lot of time editing and coming up with all different things. And it was worth it when we got the reaction. People were expecting just kind of a one of your Zoom quizzes, which not a lot of effort has gone into other than the questions. So it was great to see the re- a reaction there. Um, and finally, thank you for everyone who joined in on the Pod Bible listening parties on tw- on Twitter. I did one for... North Star Rising, uh, which is a sci-fi podcast I narrated. And the reaction was absolutely overwhelming. Tons of you all listened along to episode one together. And I tweeted along about it. Mike Bithell, who's the the writer and creator of it all, tweeted along. Numerous of the the voice cast tweeted along. So it was really cool to be involved in that. And then on Friday, we did a listening party for the Joe Gilgan episode of the Distraction Pieces podcast and it was overwhelmingly wonderful the reaction from you lot it was a weird and emotional one for me um because I don't listen to my own podcasts I did a video that got a lot of love on my Instagram and Facebook and that um kind of talking about how nervous I was about it I get a lot of love on here on the podcast and on socials for um for the fact that I don't mind I leave my stuttering <laughs> I stutter it's not a big deal I move on and I'm really good at handling that and it being water off a duck's back day to day but the reason I don't or one of the reasons I don't listen back to my podcasts is it can get to me hearing it on on the podcast um and it can really send me on a spiral and affect my mental health it can be tough so yeah, I was a bit nervous about the listening party, but but that episode in particular has got so much amazing stuff from Joe about his mental health, about his bipolar, about his 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 limited reading and writing, um, and things like that. So yeah, it was an important one to do, and I ended up really enjoying it. Everyone was so lovely. Joe is so engaging that I could ignore myself quite easily, and yeah. It was good fun. But speaking of not enjoying listening to myself, I did, I've done a few Instagram lives during lockdown as well. And on one of them, I was asking what people want to hear for, as 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 you will have heard, I'm trying to do some unusual things in lockdown to keep the podcast exciting and engaging. And one of the things I did a few weeks back was a behind the music, a behind the album of my Distraction Pieces album. And I put forward the idea that I might do behind the album of my debut album no commercial breaks so it'll kind of be a behind the whole career because this is where it all started yeah i said i might do that for no commercial breaks and a few people got very excited about that so that's what we're here to do but as i mentioned on the distraction pieces one i'm not a fan of listening to myself particularly older stuff because you every artist will feel that they've developed and evolved and got better and better so i struggle with my own stuff but distraction pieces and no commercial breaks are both albums I've had to re listen to numerous times recently because I re released them on vinyl or no commercial breaks. It was the first ever release on vinyl and distraction pieces was a re release on glowing v- vinyl. They're both av- available from speech development records.com. I forgot to mention that 
on the distraction pieces on. So I did a whole whole podcast talking about the, the album and I didn't plug the fact that you can buy it on vinyl and I only released it j- just before lockdown. So there's still available in my web store, speechdevelopmentrecords.com. But No Commercial Breaks is in there as well on orange vinyl. And it's the reason I released that was because it's the one album I've done that never got to come out on vinyl. Um, because at the time I didn't have the money or the infrastructure. So all these years on, I thought I'd do that. A lot of people ask about the the, the Lasak versus Pip stuff on vinyl. That is out of my control because it wasn't released on my label, Speech Development Records. It was all released on Sunday Best. So it's up to them if they release more. We released a limited edition um, around the 10-year anniversary of Angles and that sold out in a matter of hours. So um, I'm always up for more vinyl releases. I love I love having my stuff out there on vinyl. I love people sending me f- photos of it and uploading videos and photos on Instagram of them playing it and things like that. It's so cool to me. It still blows my mind that I've I have albums out and music out and people physically own it and and, and listen to it and it means stuff. As someone who grew, grew up obsessed with music, it's it's a cool thing. So yeah, they're available. Let's get on with it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to listen once again using my Sonos Move. This isn't a sponsored podcast, although we've probably got the Sonos sponsorship running at the moment. So there there will be an advert for Sonos either already happened or about to happen after the uh, intro music. But yeah, either way, it's the perfect fit. So yeah, let's drop the intro buddy piece. Um, and then there might even be an advert for Sonos before I then come back on and listen to the record and talk about it all. All right, let's go. This piece of fiction is the intro to distraction. This piece of fiction is the intro to distraction. This piece of fiction is the intro to distraction. This piece of fiction is the intro to distraction. Right, here we are. No commercial breaks behind the album. I'm going to get the album up on Spotify. Let me first connect to my Sonos Move. That that was as easy as it was. Just it's linked. I don't own any of my records, so I'll get it up on Spotify. A lot of people talking about Spotify lately because Joe Rogan podcast has done a hundred million dollar deal to be to become a Spotify exclusive and it's a really interesting one because Spotify I think is one of the best places for um for podcasts I think it's been really important in the pushing out of um podcasts to a, a, a wider audience um and getting people who didn't know what they were to listen on I love the Acast app I love the Apple podcast app but they're separate apps the beauty of Spotify is it's all just there. You People are already using Spotify and they can then just, oh, I'll listen to this podcast. And I think it's been really important in the uh, in the spreading and, 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 and growth of podcasts. When Spotify got proper on board and proper behind it, I think it's really helped. However, there's a lot of arguments for them being one of the worst for mu- mu- musicians. YouTube, I believe, are the only people who pay less per play. Per play. Um, I've spoken about it before. Dan Lasak had tweeted it. But the number of... Let me see if I can, can get it up. I think I might have talked about it in the last... Um, in the last uh, one of these. But I know Hugh Stevens tweeted it recently. So let me go to Hugh Stevens' Twitter. Um, I think he did anyway. Oh, these stats are interesting. Yeah, so... Spotify a third worse. So Pandora pays less and YouTube pays less. Everyone else, your Apple Music, Tidal, Amazon, Google, all pay a bit more. It's still fractions though, but the amount of plays that you need in one day to earn a UK minimum wage is 523,200 to earn minimum wage in the UK, um, to earn a day of minimum wage wage that's that's how many you need the number of oh that's if sorry if there's one if you're one of three writers on a track which a lot of people are a lot of people it's split for for all the Lassac versus pip stuff it's at least 
a two-way split for the Distraction Pieces album. Most of they're all at least, I think, all at least a three-way split, and some more. Um, so Distraction Pieces earns me fuck all. Um, number of streams for an individual songwriter to earn one day of minimum wage, so eight hours, is on Spotify is one hundred and seventy-four thousand four hundred streams. To earn minimum wage, that's mad, isn't it? On YouTube, it's worse. It's 410,353 for one day minimum wage. You go all the way down and you've got an Amazon, it's 53,662 to earn one day's minimum wage. So people think of, of musicians often as these big successful things, but if you're getting 53,000 streams a day on Amazon, you're essentially earning the same as someone working in in mcdonald's or any minimum wage job uh so yeah it's quite mad right but yeah i said I'm, I'm 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 conflicted on it still though because as someone who's no longer making music i benefit far more from the streaming setup because as i'm no longer releasing any new music the only music i have is already out there and most of the people who were going to buy that will have bought it therefore people continuing to stream it means i continue to get paid even if it's a tiny amount so i'm really conflicted on it but um, a lot of people hate it i know lasac is not a fan of the streaming um model and it's completely fair i completely understand that anyway that's not what we're here to talk about that was a little bit of uh background we're here to talk about no commercial break the only version that's on uh spotify or online at all is the version that's then got the spoken word album attached to it a little b- b- a behind the scenes thing there i get a lot of love for, 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 for that spoken word album i regret recording it because a few years or no a few months l- later i recorded uh, on video my edinburgh fringe show which was basically what you hear on this spoken word performance but far better far more polished i'd figured it out as a show i'd been touring it for six months or i'd been doing spot shows around the country i'd done a full full run at the fringe and that is what i think is the best spoken word show i ever did and i managed to get it on on video and i couldn't be more more proud of it it's available on dvd and digital download over at speechfilmrecords.com good choice if you want some lockdown viewing and you've watched everything on netflix Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, and Apple TV. But yeah, a l- l- little behind the scenes there. I have to bite my tongue every time I get a compliment for that album because I sit there thinking, oh, I hate it. It's not as good as the Fringe one. But yeah, the first track, No Commercial Breaks, was the first album I ever recorded. Um, I'd qu- quit my job. I'd written it and made the demos whilst working on a till in HMV. I quit my. I saved up some money and quit my job to go and all I could afford was three days in a studio. So we recorded it all in three days. Me, my mate Alan Shultis, who did all the drums, and my mate Ross Lawson, who did the keys, the bass, the sax, essentially everything other than than the drums. There's one track or maybe two that I recorded in my bedroom because I wasn't happy with what we got in the studio. It was too polished. But yeah, I'm sure I'll hear that when we get to it. But yeah, we had three days. Um, I put all the tracks together as kind of demos using samples and then I went in and recreated them, except except for one, which Flames Yarl, a.k.a. 76, producer of Hardcore Listing Podcast and numerous other things, he produced one track. But again, we then replayed it and and, and did it all in the studio. Everything except for, for, for one that I recorded at home was recorded in that studio at that time. That was the story of it. I then the place that we recorded it also did c- CD d- duplication. So I paid them to press. I think it was only a thousand copies, and that was the first ever release. I sold every single copy that I ever sold has come directly from me. I've either posted, p- put it in an envelope, and posted it out myself, or sold it at shows or on the street because I toured the country living in my nineteen eighty seven. Toyota Space Cruiser performing 
um, originally on street corners, and then I started just performing outside other people's gigs because that made more sense. It would get. I've told this a million times, so I'm gonna. I'm speeding th- th- through it. Um, it would get my target audience in each town and line them up against a wall. As I mentioned on the distraction pieces behind the the album, it was doing that where I met Buddy Peace and Orpheus. Buddy Peace, who produces this podcast now, years later, and Orpheus, who made a beat on the Distraction Pieces album. So yeah, it kind of worked. It was something I came up with on the fly. It's now kind of a key part of the myth of Scroobius Pip and the and the the history, the origin story. So it's pretty cool. But let's get on to the record. I've done a, tons of talking on the Q and A's and numerous other things about my career. Let's talk about the record itself, and it starts with. A thousand words. say a picture's worth a thousand words so with these thousand words I'll paint a picture in your mind that breaks the rule of thirds let's go right back to the start what better way to begin before too much of the corruption the temptation and sin before the gloss was taken off back to sandcastles and grins before the world we were living in became riddled with so that's that one is a thousand words um a really important track for me to be completely honest obviously number one it's a surreal retelling of the story of how I got my stutter um as a kid I almost drowned in France and my dad waded into the sea and saved my life um but that seems to be where my stutter came from they're often a result of a traumatic event but that aside, this song is really important because it's the one that caught the attention of my friends and family. <laughs> as weird as it sounds, they the reason I toured the country living in a space cruiser was because I had no desire to play in front of, of my friends and family. That is the thing that made me feel the most uncomfortable in the world. I'd rather play in front of strangers. So the most nerve-wracking thing was them hearing this stuff. And all of this stuff is the is the start of it all. This is the first things I wrote and kind of put out there pretty much everything on this album started off as little demos I made and stuff like that so this is the real the real the real origin story but this was the track that made my friends and family kind of go oh he might have something here he might have some talent in this um it's exactly a a, a thousand words long that's the the kind of the concept of the song as well because a picture's are worth a thousand words so with these thousand words i'll paint a picture in your mind that breaks the rule of thirds that bit doesn't really make any sense i was just a photography student and an art student and the rule of thirds is a key part in uh composition in art and photography yeah and this is the one that kind of made everyone take it a bit seriously and made them think all right he might actually be able to do something here and then outside of that Again, I've, I've name-dropped a million times before on this, but it's what made me and Adele connect. Um, in the MySpace days, the night that Adele joined MySpace, I think I might have already gigged with her at some point or gigged with people that she, that she, that she knows, but she, she uploaded Daydreamer and it blew my mind and I listened on repeat and I messaged her saying, this is the, so dope, you're amazing. And she listened to a thousand words, her and her mum, who was also on MySpace. And they were messaging back saying, This song's, this is amazing. This is, this, it's poetry and whatever else. Um, And yeah, that really sticks with me because, again, as said, I was all, always more about people outside of my own circle and own local area. So that was the epitome of that. And it was before Adele was obviously Adele. So it was just someone who I respected and admired and, and had become an instant fan of. So that was cool. And this, yeah, this was the one that became a bit of a calling card in the, in the MySpace days. It's one of the ones I think Dan Lassac n- never tried to remix because he felt it was spot on as it was. The, the story of me and Dan kind of getting together was he 
I think I sent him my CD because we we used to work together in HMV, and he remixed a load of tracks, and you'll hear them. Some of the stuff on No Commercial Breaks ended up on Angles, but the the new rewritten versions. And yeah, he heard them, mashed them up without out me knowing. Like without having parts, he just had the tracks and tore them apart and all this kind of thing, um, and played them at a gig that we did together, which he he was promoting. He didn't know that that it was my first ever gig inside a venue. I'd, I'd been just playing on, on street corners and that up until then. But yeah, a thousand words was the one that seemed to make people really take me seriously and make me stand out. I guess. You can look at tracks like Rat Race and see the influence of Saul Williams and Sage Francis and even Gil Scott Heron. You can look at tracks like Love Like This or Development and see the the, the rap influences, but A Thousand Words didn't seem to feel like anything else. The piano loop that I originally rapped over on this, I bought a working in H&V. They had, their own, they had the H&V classical label, the H&V jazz label and all that. And when the sales would come round at the end of each year, they'd reduce tons of stuff that was on their own label to next next to nothing. So literally, it'd go down to ten p or a quid. So I would always w- wait until that happened and buy a load of them, and then trawl through them and find something. So I've no idea what I what we ripped off on that, but um, it was on an H and V classical thing, and yeah, I looped it. And spoke over it, and then in the end, Ross kind of recreated it, changed it a bit, and made made what you hear there. And it's also a telling one because it's, I guess, it has got a hook of the a pictures worth a thousand words, but but that's only at the beginning and end, right? Because my all my biggest tracks, and I'd consider this is the the big single off of No Commercial Breaks, even though it wasn't at a time where I did singles or could afford to do singles. That Should Always Kill was this long piece that didn't have a traditional pop song structure, as was Introduction, as was Letter from God to Man, um, as was You Will See Me. No chorus, just these weird pieces. And I feel they're some of the biggest or tracks I'm most known for. So it's really interesting that you will always try and strive towards these particular structures structures as the ones that are going to be your big pop breakout hit and then what actually seems to connect is when you just go off tangent completely so yeah that's that's a thousand words let's move on to track two muses oh yeah i remember this some scratching here from chris of hardcore listing scratching the roof of your mouth from behind his turntables today we got my man amonomy he used to go under the name of amonomy uh, come on, man. Don't be shy. I want you to go ahead and introduce yourself properly. Look at Chrissy, Chrissy Goldtouch on the ones and twos. There we go. That's 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 uh, a little sample of of muses. Yeah, Chris on the ones and twos there. Chris of hardcore listing and drunk cast fame, the quiet villain himself. Um, he came into the studio on one of the three days and did the scratching for that. Instantly remembering as I hear that, I wrote that when I was uh, walking around Amsterdam. I tried to live in Amsterdam at one point, but um, just as I got a work visa, this is pre not needing to use visas and that's that's all back just as i got a work visa i had an issue and suddenly had no money at all and i'm not a rich kid so i didn't have anyone i could hit up to sort me out so i just got a work visa i'd just been offered a job and i had to head back to to the uk and that dream was over but in this instance i went on holiday to amsterdam with my dad and his missus and her kids and yeah, I did a lot of walking around on my own with headphones in. I think I had a CD or a tape that, again, 
Flame Jar slash Stu Mangan slash 76 had made me that was all, it was a beat tape. It wasn't his beats, but it was all tracks that didn't have vocals on. And I'd walk around writing along to that. And I remember writing this while strolling around the canals of Amsterdam. And yeah, it then evolved and evolved and evolved and became the track that you hear there. And it, again, it's there's it's so weird to listen back because a lot of it feels really pretentious and odd. But I mean, I would have been early 20s strolling around going, oh, I'm going to be a rapper now. But yeah, let's move on to track three because this is one that troubled me a bit when I listened to the... Um, I listened back because this is what one I remember being a really popular one and a really um, emotional one because it was a real, a real angst wrapped type thing. But I found it troubling when listening back for the the vinyl. Let's have a listen. Oh, a little sample from Harvey, my favourite film of all time. This sample is not cleared. Hopefully, it's okay for artistic use. Or oh so pleasant. But for years I was smart. I heard him unpleasant. You may quote me. If I'd known there was love like this, I'd have grabbed a fucking scalpel, I'd have slipped my wrists in the goddamn delivery room. Hell, I'd have jumped back in the womb. Love be the shit that's gonna seal my shoes. Just cause you made that bed, didn't mean you had to lie. And it'll look me in the eye saying together till we die. And shit will feel my fucking pulse cause I ain't fucking dead yet. Listen close, it goes through your headset when we first met. I didn't know what I was doing, and I guess you were sick of that girl's boyfriend you were screwing. Instead of thinking in my head, were you worth pursuing? I should have looked into your eyes and seen the storm was brewing. But you need new angles. Anyway, there's that. Number one, I sound whiny as fuck. <laughs> I'm going to get the lyrics up. I don't know any of the lyrics of any of my songs. Just this is another reason I can't just jump back to tour, and I've no desire to tour, so don't worry. But, um,. Yeah, it's not the suicide talk that made me uncomfortable. I probably wouldn't make it so casually now, but um, it's of its time and it meant... The point is it's a song about when you get that real heartbreak and that is it puts you in some dark places. But the bit that really made me think, fuck, that's not who I have ever been, is a bit that's kind of talking about how (laughs) it says like it'd be wrong to punch you in the face... But, you know, I understand why I would think that, which is really weird. You know, it's, it states that it's wrong, but it's still to be talking about it in such a way. Um, yeah, and just, again, it, like the writing is decent. <laughs> and just suppose I was to juxtapose my tight clenched fist against your nose, releasing blood with colour deeper than the deepest rose, releasing streams of anger that we all have yet which no one shows releasing me from the fucking chains of heartache that you still impose and that i know that'd be wrong and i ain't gonna do it but there's no harm in plotting this path through my mind and walking through it i think there might be harm in that (laughs) it's a weird one because i think it's on, on the one hand it's important to address and acknowledge that we all go to dark places in our minds at times and that doesn't make us bad people but it feels tr- troublesome to put it so casually in a song to say, oh, imagine if I was to, to, to break your nose <laughs> for breaking my heart. And again, it states that it's wrong. But yeah, I don't know. That feels... It, I, I remember listening to that and thinking, oh, shit, where's, why, why in a, a silly heartbreak song am I talking about punching the girl in question in the nose and causing blood to flow from it. That's really fucking disturbing. Um, So yeah, that's an interesting thing to bring up here. I think now I wouldn't have written it like that at all. I really enjoyed, uh, I think Seth Rogen is a great example. At times he's addressed things in his previous films like Superbad that may come across as homophobic or misogynist in in this day and age and he's come and kind of said look I regret that I wouldn't I wouldn't write that now it's of its time and it didn't it wasn't intended in that way then but I can see now how it's damaging and yeah 
that's a similar one here. This is a song that a lot of people... It was another one. I'd say a love like this, Rat Race, Angles and A Thousand Words are probably the ones... Oh, yeah, first time I met music are probably the ones that at the time I got a lot of love for because it was it's fucking raw. It's a raw, you broke my heart s- song. And that was quite rare in rap, particularly in UK at the time. I heard it from Sage, his song, um, The Rewrite is one of my favourite rap songs of all time, and it broke my heart hearing it back in the day. Um, I'm going to play a little bit of of Sage's rewrite, because this song influenced my writing so much. It was on his Sick of Waiting album. This is to the woman who I love was lost Into twice souls of the universe Got divorced when it wasn't forced Cause single thoughts so be a double cross Till there's no love lost I can't even start this start. She said forever This is the rewrite This is the rewrite This is the rewrite Yeah, check this out this is to the woman who I used to respect Now I call her a bitch cause I'm constantly upset So this is to the Who comes communication For a new relation Selfishness spread through the nation All I ever needed was a hug To wrap a loving arms around you You blew it off with a shrug So all I ever wanted was a hand to hold I ain't the man of soul You playing us cold with goddamn a soul It's about time get us out my head Out my mind as I scream crying wine was it here to hear me what you really have to wear that mask for? You straight shattered my glass jaw. Now I'm it's funny that I still know all the words to that, and I don't know any of the words to my own songs. But yeah, that that, that song's so classic. If you're not into Sage Francis, you should be. He's one of the greats. Um, but that's one that he rewrote several times, and in l- l- later iterations he removed the word bitch. Because, again, in the song he addresses that he shouldn't say it, but it's the emotion. And then in later years he kind of went, no, nah, let's not let's not use that term. Anyway, can't remember how I got onto that. Let's move on to development. Again, I mean, this is all testament to, to, to how good the, 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 the Sonos move sounds because a lot of the production on this record is quite basic. Again, it's better... Th- than I deserved at the time, and but we did record it in th- in three days in a in a local studio, so it's I'm surprised at how dope it's sounding. But equally, we're not plugging this into anything. This is coming out of a speaker and then into the microphone that I'm talking into, and the speakers across the table. So hopefully you can hear it all okay. Um, let's go on to development. This track right here is like it's the first track I ever wrote. Um, I mean, even that just makes me cringe. The kind of intro of this track right here, like, it's just, yeah, this is my emotional intro to my rap song, Scroobius Pip, yo, let's hit it. So this this cheap little guitar loop pedal, and I'd, I'd practice in my room all the time, I'd plug my mic in, I'd beatbox and loop it, and then I'd do this over the top. That's <laughs> true. Pretty, pretty raw, but I've come a long way, man. Hadn't come a long way. This is the underground intelligent hip-hop development progression is our intent. Ladies and gentlemen, the underground intelligent hip-hop development progression is our intent. Underground intelligent hip-hop development progression is our intent. Ladies and gentlemen, the underground intelligent hip-hop development progression is our intent. They say possession is not attempt, so we possess my events to filter the rhyme set from deep down inside. It's a precision and timing, essential to rhyming. If you wish to pierce the cerebral line, you see, image is nothing, imagination is everything. Is there anything you wear that's more important than what you think? I think not, as I bump pace up, cruise to Herbie Hancock and fucking rocket with snot. You wanna. There we go, some reference to Herbie Hancock, Aesop Rock, and Snot, the band Snot. Um. Yeah, not too much to, to, to tell you about this one. It's good that it's called Development because this was originally, I think on my first like CD I gave to my, a few mates to get an opinion, Stu Mangan again, Flamejaw slash 76 will have it. I had a track called Screwb Rap and it was me beatboxing into a loop pedal and then I did this verse and then the second verse. And when I did Development, I changed the second verse to something new and then we did development on angles and I think I changed it again or I went for the updated one I can't remember 
but yeah, it was a song that developed over the years, so it was kind of kind of good in that way. But let's move straight on. I'm, I'm realising that we're at 40 minutes already, and I don't want to make this a two-parter. And the next one was one that got a lot of, of love in the day, and I'd say it's the best performance in the room. So in the studio on the day, we, we did four or five takes of this, and it was me, Ross, and Alan all kind of playing it live and going f- for it. So this is... Rat race. I think we added some crowd noise at some point. Oh, in fact, Ross would have been playing the bass on one take, and then we played that back in the headphones, and the, the, the sax on the other take. It was all pretty much improvised, really. Yep. Some some fake crowd noise from a CD. in the rat race again. And what's worse, most of these fucking rats are my friends. And worse still, I've lost my map, so I don't know where this shit ends. Ah, shit. I'm back in the rat race again. As As I wake up with the previous night still ringing in my fragile head, trying to piece together any shitty things I might have done or might have said, I drag my lifeless carcass to its feet and out of bed and clock into another day. Another day within which I can look forward to the possibility that maybe today will be the day that something interrupts the never-ending list of mundane tasks that sit between me and the closing bracket of my drive home. There we go. There's a little sample of that. I'll tell you what, just listening back, that is the first one that didn't make me cringe uh, at myself. I think the vocal sounds all right on that. The nature of it is quite natural and is in my own cadence. It didn't feel as if I was doing an impression of anyone. Although, as I said, it is very influenced by your your Saul Williams's and your Gil Scott Herons. And yeah, it really highlights how this album, the credit for this album goes, sits so heavily on the shoulders of Alan Shortis and Ross Lawson. Because their work on this track is, it makes it, obviously, again, I had this, I had this uh, with Lassac, often... The initial impact and praise would come on the lyrics, which is cool. I'm the lyricist. I'm pleased with that. I'll take that praise. But then it's easy to overlook the work that is done to elevate those lyrics. I talked about it on the listening party for North Star Rising because I narrated that. And the sound work underneath it just makes my narration sound so much better than it actually was. (laughs) So I'm used to that, that being a a theme on my career outside of the podcast on the podcast you just gotta hear it for what it is so yeah that was cool rap race along with a few songs in this make a reference at some point to my mate jay who i've talked about numerous times jamie not this album came out on may 25th not may 25th march 25th is it march or april (laughs) i can't remember the it's it's my favorite that that day of the year april 25th for god's sake and i released it on that day because that was the anniversary of my mate jay passing away and also his birthday and i love that dude dearly he deserves a lot of credit for this because i think losing a friend at a a young age like that really put a rocket underneath me and made me go right i need to do some shit with my life or at least try at least give it a fucking go um, when recording the, uh, the, uh, this album, Mom, I had a music stand that had my lyrics on. I had a Bill, a Bill, a Bill Hicks book. I'm not even that into Bill Hicks, really. I believe I had a Bill Hicks book and a, a Lenny Bruce. I had a, a Lenny Bruce book because both of those, their perform. Although I'm not even the biggest fan of either, I appreciate them more and like them than both. They both did stuff that 
felt like it pushed the boundaries and was so raw and honest. And that was a big inspiration. I also had a photo from, I think it was a Reading Festival or some kind of camping trip that was me and my mate Mutt, Mutt 3000, Matthew Mulhern, um, a girl called J- Jennifer Emptage and her mate Ellie, can't remember Ellie's surname. Um, I had a photo of that because that was a recent, just really good, positive memory and and time and i had a photo of jay jamie not so those were the things i had on my kind of music stand to kind of draw emotion from and excitement and motivation and to push through again to record the whole album in three days was a lot it meant i had to be on a lot so yeah that's a little insight i don't think i've said that before i think i've put it i think in the artwork for the re-release the no commercial breaks two disc that had the live cd and was a pop-up book which is also available still. It's a pop-up book CD, so you open it and it kind of pops up and presents the CD to you. I think in the booklet for that, I put some photos from the studio and you can probably see the photos in there, the books, the lyric pages, all that kind of thing. But yeah, let's move on to At All. Jazz, man, this just put me to sleep. Let's open things up a bit. See parts of this I've re-recorded at home. That's why it sounds so shit. There we go. Let's kick in. I mean, the quality is so poor, I'm not going to subject you to too much of that. That is at all, and it became, the vocals became Rapper's Battle on Angles from me and Dan Lassac. That was one that we recorded in the studio, and it sounded too clean. So I went home and re-recorded it in my my bedroom at my mum's house, which is where I still lived. I played the bass, I used some sample snare and hi-hat sounds. I I layered a load of stuff, and me going, nah. Nah, 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 and stuff like that. Um, yeah, and recorded the vocal in the toilet, I think, at my mum's house. So that's how that one came about, and that's why it sounds... But it, it, it was meant to be a raw punk-sounding song. I wrote it as this aggressive punk song, um, and then we recorded it in a nice, clean studio, and it sounded shit. It took all the energy out of it, so I went home and recorded it with... mattresses around a microphone that I'd taped to a stepladder because I didn't have a mic stand. Yeah, and that later went on to be Rapper's Battle because Dan had a track on his solo album, Le Saxe Year, called Rapper's B, and I rapped that over the top of it and we used to do it live and it became a, yeah, it became a thing. But speaking of me and and Le The next track is Angles, which obviously became a big song for me and Dan and the name of our album, but here's the original version. Now, this we did record in the studio, and it's the only thing we use is my mouth. So I've, I've beatboxed. Things in life ain't always quite what they seem. There's more than one given angle. And they made other noises. So bear that in mind next time you try to intervene on any one given angle, on any one given scene. My name is Mark. I go to uni and college. Don't socialise that much. I just revise and build knowledge. At times I find that I've become a virtual recluse. I let my belt of interaction hang aside to be loose. But I came here to learn. That's the life that I choose. When people think I'm a geek, they can bring their abuse. See, a lot of people think that I'm boring and say that maybe I'm a weirdo or maybe I'm gay. But I don't care because when I get a good job and good pay, I'll get a house for just my brother and me someday. That's the reason I'm here, just to build for the future. And if it means better grades, I'd even sleep with my troops. Anyway, that's Angles. A lot of you will know that because that was a big one for me and Dan. That was so influenced by uh, Medulla, by Bjork, which was an album that she did that only used vocals. Um, she had a lot of beatboxing from Razel on there. She had vocal stuff from Mike Patton. Um, uh, an Inuit throat singer called Tanya Gillis, a beatboxer called 
de coca um and it's an amazing record i love it um triumph of the heart and who is it were two of my yeah huge songs i loved at the time and that influenced angles so each character angles is also it's the first one that I spoke about this on on one of the Distraction Pieces tracks. Angles was the first one where I went, right, I'm going to have a narrative, but it doesn't have to be a linear narrative. I can have twists and turns. Um, So I tell this story from the perspective of numerous different characters, and it was intentional that you should kind of be on one side of the story at the start and on a different side of the story at the end. Uh, The big inspiration on it was local newspapers, was reading stories in local newspapers and realising, right, the journalists aren't getting the time or the money to really research this deeply. So there's going to be more angles than we know about. And we, I mean, it's a prime thing on social media these days. We jump on, we get one side of a story and we jump on it. The Johnny Depp thing is a prime one recently. I won't go into that in huge detail because I don't know enough about it, but Obviously, with the struggle on the Distraction Pieces album, it was about Johnny Depp being a serial killer. And then there was all this uproar that he had abused his his partner. And it was horrific. And I kind of, I couldn't reply to tweets for a while because people were like, eh, you predicted that. And it's like, this isn't funny, man. But then earlier this year, it's come out that his partner would abuse him. And it's kind of the, you know, I don't know the ins and outs. I don't know if lines were crossed by both highly possible but it is an illustration that what you may initially see as the story there's often there's more than one given angle to to 21 given scene to quote myself um but yeah that track was all done with me beatboxing everything you hear on that is me going like wow and making weird noises again and that was completely due to an obsession at the time with Bjork and that particular album. Let's move on. We've got three three tracks to go. Next up is first time I met music. Another one that was a popular one as this all all dropped. Another MySpace uh, hit. I mean that is just summer in the in the city. Changed slightly so we didn't have to get in trouble for sampling. But yeah. that's a little sample of that um again all of these are on spotify or available in my web store or apple or wherever you listen um just hearing that then it made me it occurred to me that this is kind of what i became known for um and this may be what set me apart or made me stand out at the time was weird fantastical narratives from a a thousand words to this they're kind of these weird stories this is a story about meeting the physical embodiment of music and hanging out with her. And that goes on to things like The Struggle, which is about a story about from the perspective of Johnny Depp as a serial killer, um, to on angles to Tommy C, which is a story about how Tommy Cooper's life and death is the perfect metaphor for love. It's kind of, yeah, it's, 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 it's those weird things where... My mind had come up with a thing and I think, well, no one else is going to have any interest in this than me. And realising that that's exactly why I need to write it because the thought is that maybe this is a unique angle on something. Um, And I encourage that. If if you're a writer or musician and you think, no, this is too weird, go, no, 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 no. (laughs) It's quite possibly just weird enough because if it feels too weird, then in all likelihood it might be that rare thing of of an original thought. And again, I, I preface this with the fact that this is wrapped over clearly a ripoff of Summer in the City. Um, so it's not, I'm not claiming to be this original genius, but I do feel the more you nurture those, those moments, the, 
those tangents, the better. Let's move on. I don't think I've got a lot more to say about that. I really enjoyed it. Um, I wrote, did I write a song called The Second Time I Met Music? I think I did. I think I put that on Patreon at some point. I don't think I ever ever released it. I'm sure it was one of the Patreon. If you go on Patreon, it's a quid or a dollar, and you could just scroll back through everything. And I used to do Poem of the Month, and I'm sure on there was one that was about the second time I met the physical embodiment of music. Obviously, both of these are fictional stories. I've never met the physical embodiment of music. I did used to do a lot of drugs back then, but it never got that heavy. Um, I'm going to move on to the next one because I think it might be the worst thing I've written. Let's, let's, have, a, let's have a little listen and then I'll give you some, some details. It's called Dreaming. I mean, that's a tight drum beat and it sounds great. Shout out to Alan Shortis. That's uh, that's me singing that. It's just pitched down to sound like um, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas and all that. See, actually, the start of that is all right. It's just, this is similar. The reason I was going to compare it is Chris of Hardcore Listing fame, he talks a lot about a track of mine called Back From Hell. And in his mind, it's the worst thing I ever wrote and I hate it. It's not entirely true. There's a line in it that I think is one of the worst things I've ever written. The track... I'm fine with it. It's typical of the hardcore listening lads is they, they misremember stuff and it becomes canon. Um, and there's numerous times on this. They had one recently where they were talking about how um, I wore my sleeveless denim jacket to one of our drunk cast recordings. Or I wore a sleeveless denim jacket and they took the piss. That is true. Now their memory in retelling this story is I never wore it again because they took the piss so bad and I was so embarrassed. The reality is I wore it loads and then went on to release my own speech development, denim jackets with a patch on the back that were a top seller. But in their mind, (laughs) I wore it once and was so heartbroken by their barbed words that um, I never wore it again. But that's the same with Back From Hell. That was a live favourite. It wasn't one of my favourite songs at all, but it was a live favourite and it was, I remember Moose Rock Wonga used to love it, but it's because the opening line in it was, I'm sentimental, oh no, I mean I'm said to be mental, which is the cringiest shit in the world, right? The rest of it, I'm fine with. There's some good bits in there, there's some bad bits in there, but I don't hate it, it's all right. But this song, as I said, the start of that, I was like, oh, this is actually all right, the beat's good. Um, the opening verse is decent. It's kind of a love song. Again, everything I write is fiction, but um, it's kind of a love song. But then in this, I think it's the second verse opens with the line, like Martin Luther King, I had a dream, but mine involved you and a tub of whipped cream. Now that is so off brand. Um, (laughs) anyone who's listened to the podcast even the drunk casts anyone who's listened to the podcast or my music for years will be stunned to realize that that's a lyric on my earliest record and all i can put it down to is one of my influences alongside intelligent wonderful rap like sage francis krs1 gil scott heron saul williams another influence was the bloodhound gang um, and they would write crude nonsense, as would the Beastie Boys at times in their early days. But yeah, that line probably is my most embarrassing line, followed by I'm sentimental. Oh no, I mean, I'm said to be mental. Ooh, I'm crazy. Look out, crazy guy on on the scene. Right, as we approach the hour mark, I'm going to tell myself to start wrapping it up. So let's go into reprise. And this is a song that, when I was listening back 
for the vinyl masters. Did I explain that earlier? I said I had to listen to it because of the vinyl. You have to get stuff remastered for vinyl if you want it to sound really good. So I I had it remastered for vinyl, and then they send you test presses, and you have to listen to like five or six to make sure there's no no errors in there. So yeah, that's why I listen to this a lot. And Reprise was the one that I still was like, oh man, I'm cool with that. I like that. So yeah, let's go. This is my reprise. Piano ripped off from from Feel It by Kate Bush that we then got permission to cover on Distraction Pieces. After the party, etc. I mean, at the moment, this makes no sense at all. I'm rambling about James Dean. Find a scene, then I'll just make one. For each bridge that I repair, I'll probably break one. But I decided long ago to let things out and not in boats. So if you wanna take a swing at me, then take one. This last little track is less for you and more for me. A little exercise in expression and musical therapy. See, even if the glass is empty, there's still residue inside. And that can taste as sweet as the wine that did once reside. The two people I miss most in my life begin with Jay. There's one that'll probably think it's her, but in all honesty, it ain't. One will know it's him wherever he is today. The one will probably never know, and I'll probably never say. You see, sometimes emotion will feel just like a straitjacket. If you've still got legs running up the racetrack, it's okay. Because every new emotion teaches something. And make sure every single muscle in your heart keeps pumping. I mean, take love, the most marketable emotion we possess. Finding love is at the end of every quest for happiness. But I suggest that maybe if we look straight through all that mess, we see the strengths of the emotions that don't get such good press. For example, anger. The thing that makes us fight. But that's just the case if the anger isn't being harnessed right. See, anger, just like love, can cause a storm of motivation. If channeled right, and not just seeping through in aggravation. So many works of art and literature throughout the ages have stemmed from the dark hearts of those embracing their rages. So then regret. I hate to say it, but it's a pointless one. If there's one thing you can't change, it's the things you've done. And the same goes for grief. In this life, most things will come and go. You just gotta keep on learning and enjoy the show. So as I finally walk away, I say goodbye and good health. As I finally walk away, I wish you all you wish yourself. As I finally walk away, I say goodbye and good health. As I finally walk away, I wish you all you wish yourself. Brown here. There we go. That's 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 how that one goes. Um I let that play because as said it struck me instantly there that at the start I say that this last track is more for me is less for you and more for me, um, and that's probably why it still still resonates as one that I like because it has a lot of emotion and a lot of thought in there. If I cannot find a scene, then I'll just make one. That was the kind of plan at the start of my career, and that's kind of how it panned out. There wasn't anyone doing the or in anywhere I knew there wasn't anyone doing the kind of music I was doing. So I felt I couldn't be part of any scene. And that became a theme for me and Dan Lassac. It's why within the same year we'd support Mark Ronson, Saul Williams, LP, Billy Bragg um, and Kate Nash. And it'd be such a range and variation of people that we'd be playing with because we didn't fit anywhere. We couldn't, we'd just have to make our own scene. Um, So that resonated a listen to that obviously i referenced my mate jay there um and that meant a lot at the time and still does now but the bit that kind of gets me a bit emotional is the last line of as i finally walk away i say goodbye and good health as i finally walk away i wish you all you wish yourself um that came from a new year's card that my mum gave me and in it it didn't say as i finally walk away my mum didn't leave me but she just wrote in it. It wasn't the thing that was printed in there. She just wrote in it, like, Happy New Year. All the best for the next year. I wish you all you wish are yourself. And I, that's probably a saying that people hear all the time, but I'd never heard it. And it was like, man, that's fucking so perfect. And I'm so l- l- lucky. I'm genuinely I'm getting a bit emotional. I'm lucky to have parents who've always had that support that... They don't wish me success in the way that they see success to be or the way that society may see success to be. They don't have, they've never put that pressure on me. They've always just supported what 
I want to do. And that just summed it up so succinctly and perfectly. My mum will tell you she's never written any lyrics or poetry or anything like that. Her and my dad have both always been, where's all this come from? All this lyrics and poetry stuff. But she nailed it with that line because it's so succinct. I wish you all you wish yourself. And again, I'm probably saying this and you're going, mate, everyone says that. It's such a known saying. But from where I had grown up, it wasn't a known saying. And it just, yeah, it struck me as bloody succinct and beautiful. I wish you all you wish yourself. And if I was good, I would end the podcast there. And I would have ended the album there, but instead I had a hidden track. So let's have a little, a little go on that. I'll fast forward it. You wouldn't like to help me find him, would you? Yeah, it's as bonkers as it sounds. Here we go. So that fades out, and then this comes in. What is this? It's coming. Oh, boys and oh, girls, again. I appear to have lost my friend Lawrence. You wouldn't like to help me find him, would you? Fuck is going on? Here's the big, he big reveal. The tree? Well done, boys and girls. We found the big bastard. Thank you ever so much for helping me. Peace out, motherfuckers. I mean, come on, I'll stop it there. But this is why I never had big pop success, because I couldn't end the album on that beautiful emotional track. I had to add some bizarre, fucked up kids story um, at the end there. And that was, the truth behind that is I recorded that as a birthday present for my mate Stutel, who was on the why I love wrestling episode of Distraction Pieces. Because me and Stu had invented the term Lawrence, and a a Lawrence was, you know, those big bumbling people, people who are really tall and really, like the comedian Miranda, is it Miranda Hart? She's a fucking Lawrence. Um, Stephen Fry, one of the people I love the most in the world. He's a bit of a Lawrence. He's a big bumbly guy. Um, who else is a, is a, a, a Lawrence? It's basically yeah, a big, a big bumbly w- a Wally, which is how you could describe me. But we decided that they're a Lawrence. So for some reason, for his birthday, I recorded this track about a Lawrence, and it's kind of a kids thing. And you're looking f- for Lawrence, and then he's behind the tree. Obviously, all the kids in that going no are all me, uh, pitched down. The Lawrence popping out going it's me is me. So the kids are me pitched up. The Lawrence is me pitched down. Recorded it all with two CD decks I have. Not had, not like good CDJs, just these cheap ones where I could loop stuff or just cue stuff. So I go, it's, 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 it's. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, that's how I decided to end my debut album with a hidden track of that absolute weirdness. Um, so yeah, I'll end it there. Thank you for <laughs> thank you for tuning in. As I said, this album is available on vinyl at speechofadmirrecords.com. In fact, let's do the exit music and then I'll do the outro. Exit music, please, buddy.
You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. So yeah, that was that was my behind the album of No Commercial Breaks. Um, thank you for tuning in and uh, listening along. As I said, you, you can go and uh, listen to these on Spotify, Apple Music, all these places. I'm sure it's on there. Um, or you can, as I said, buy the vinyl or the pop-up CD um, at speechdevelopmentrecords.com. The, the see-through orange vinyl... Uh, which looks like it's made out of treacle or the pop-up CD. So yeah, that stuff is available um, at speechvanorecords.com. I will see you next week. I don't know what the podcast will be next week. I've got a few different people lined up. I've got a few different ideas of unusual ones I want to do. But for now, thank you for tuning in. Um, Stay safe. Stay alert. (laughs) Stay home, probably. Uh, And I'll see you all next week. It's, uh, oh, and, and and play the distraction quiz if you missed it. There's two of them. They're an hour long each. They're a lot of fun. Um, see you next week. Bye.